Hello, I'm Graham. And I'm Chris. And we're two Pet Shop Boys fans from West Yorkshire in the north of England. Sexy northerners, if you will. And this is the second episode of Pet Shop Boys In-Depth, a podcast for Pet Shop Boys fans everywhere. A couple of disclaimers up front. Chris and I are completely new to this podcasting game. And with an additional challenge, we don't actually even know each other. Yes, that's right. So we met in a pub on a wet Wednesday night where we discovered our shared dirty pop secrets as undercover Pet Shop Boys superfans. And for some reason, we thought it'd be interesting to see if in any way two fans talking could translate into a podcast. So here we are, back in the studio, making it happen. So come with us as we record the follow-up to our debut. Kind of like actually. But without the black tie dress code and strictly no yawning allowed. United by a shared love of one band, can two strangers who have never presented anything before spin one pub chat out into something that other people might bear to listen to? There's only one way to find out. Okay, Graham. so obviously over the years we've been pretty spoilt really in terms of output, so 14 studio albums, countless new B-sides, some amazing side projects, but I know many fans, myself included, still got some key things on our on our wish lists items from the archive which have never seen the light of day or uh, are maybe in urgent need of of a reissue yeah that's certainly the case for me are you will you kick off what is it that you'd like to see well for one relentless clearly only ever been released once was the partner to very well that was way back in 1993 now came out on cd in that rubber gatefold <laughs> sleeve there was a a uh, vinyl promo but never properly came out on on vinyl or or any other format limited to 500 i think Uh, is that right yeah Yeah. that colored vinyl but nothing since i don't know about you i remember when it came out uh, back in the day those two albums i thought that was the best thing that i'd ever bought quite frankly i remember very well there was that whole day of promotion on radio one with all of the djs playing a song apiece and I remember specifically Pete Tong the, in the evening playing My Head Is Spinning. I, I don't remember that at all. I think, I mean, I would have, I remember that I was in lectures at university that day. I know I rushed out of, out of there at about three, four o'clock when they'd finished trying to run around all the record shops in Leeds City Centre, trying to get hold of a copy, which I, I, I was really struggling to do. It was kind of that where you uh, hop along to the first shop expecting to buy it and suddenly it's not there and then it's not there in the second one and you... You start to get a panic on, but I think it was it was either the third or the fourth shop that that kind of had a few copies left. So yeah, I, I remember that. I remember it raining. Is uh, is my memory of it? And I, I think for if somebody's uh, a new Pet Shop Boys fan and they're trying to get hold of it, you know, it, it's it's not on streaming streaming services. It wasn't put out on the part of the very reissue. That was just two CDs. There wasn't an extra one with with Relentless on as well. I think Pet Shop Boys like it being hard to find and maybe that's why they haven't reissued it since but I think personally it's time to put that right now. It's an album in its own right. I like this the idea that you've they would have 12 Parlophone albums rather than the 11 that, the, that they've got at the moment. I do like a nice round number. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think that's uh, my number one thing for a reissue I'd say. You see, I, I'm a little bit disagree with that I think. I, I kind of like the idea that it's still quite exclusive and you know, I, I don't really know whether it's about hearing it or or owning it. I would have thought that. I mean, these things aren't very elusive now, are they? You know, you you can couple of clicks on the internet and you can hear it, yeah, albeit not off the official sites, but uh, it's sort of sitting on YouTube and so on. So then it becomes about owning it, and I, I like the fact that I had to put some effort into it and get wet and go and buy it, and it was only available for in Leeds anyway a day or so. 
it's this kind of idea of being elusive. I, I remember Prince's Black Album came out or didn't come out and that was elusive and I, I desperately wanted to hear that and desperately, I, you know, I was a big fan of the whole kind of love sexy time of Prince and, and wanted this album and you just couldn't get it and it, it became even more special that you that it was elusive and you couldn't get it and, and when it has sort of now available on, on streaming services and so on, you're a little bit Oh yeah, it's it's not quite as special anymore. So what 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 would what would you want from from a reissue? Is it about owning it? What format do you want it in? I think it's just knowing that it's out there along that it's out there alongside all of their other albums that people can get to it. I can build nice playlists on streaming services. It just it feels like those six tracks are hidden away, and I just think they deserve a bigger audience. I'd like a, a remaster as well. I think that will be good to hear clearly the vast majority of the other songs have, have all had that treatment it just seems odd to have these six that haven't quite been looked after in the same way and I don't quite subscribe to the um I, I do get it the elusive bit but I quite I'd rather have these out there for everyone to be able to get their hands on their ears on I mean I'm, I'm not averse to a further listening version of it and particularly if they could make some of these songs bigger and longer and you know if there are mixes of them knocking around I'd certainly like to I'd certainly like to maybe my compromise is a is a remixed relentless well <laughs> they did nearly come back to it at the uh, end of the very campaign and the tracks that became b-sides to yesterday when I was mad so you're a boy some speculation I think they were originally intended for a a reissued longer version of relentless that would have come out in its own right of course, they are absolutely fabulous at that point as well. And they could very much have put something together that also maybe had the best mixes from the very album as well. But that concept seemed to morph into what became Disco 2. There is actually a another uh, version of Disco 2 called Absolutely Relentless, which is another mix like Disco 2 was mixed by Danny Ramplin. This is another version that also actually includes the Relentless tracks as well. So they obviously did look at doing some different versions of, uh, of Relentless before concluding that they'd stick with the Disco 2 idea and Relentless would just become some uh, collectible edition that people would still be talking about some decades later. I like the idea that if we've had a Disco 2, I like the idea of a, of a Relentless 2, although I mean, Disco 2 is just a strange beast, isn't it? And just goes to show this, this line between a kind of timeless dance album that Relentless is and an of its moment that, that Disco 2 is. I mean, Disco 2 specifically reminds me of, you know, it sounds like going clubbing in my final year at university. It's just, it, it sounds so of that time. I think some of the problem with it is that it's mega mixed. And I don't think Danny Ramplin's necessarily picked all of the versions of the songs that maybe we would have picked. There are some great remixes from that period, which are on there. So the Rollo mix of Can You Forgive Her? I like the Fire Island mix of Go West and the Beatmasters mix of uh, I Wouldn't Normally Do This Kind of Thing. I even like the Rollo mix of uh, Absolutely Fabulous. But I think it should be a compilation of those full versions. There's also some really odd omissions, so you would have imagined a, a mix as well-loved as the Jam and Spoon version of Young Offender would have been on there, but that, that didn't get a look in. I mean, some of those mixes are awful, though, aren't they? Not, not the actual the remixes, but the actual kind of mixes between tracks. I mean, they, they sound like... It's a feel, bit clunky. A bit it? clunky. I, I was doing better mixes on an old cassette in the 80s. It just doesn't seem to marry up some of the songs. I, I think that's my biggest problem with it. I completely agree. I think some of the mixes that are actually on there 
are actually great, but it's just the way that it's put together and maybe that's what a mega mix is or it just doesn't sound right to me. It feels like it could have been done a little bit smoother. I do think so if we're talking about reissuing Relentless, then it would be a good time to reissue all of the disco series as well. I could imagine all, all of those make um, quite a nice set. Whether they get their own further listening discs or not is, is another discussion. So, I mean, I think we both love Relentless. Uh, what's your sort of favourite songs from that? Well, I do like them all. I like We Came From Outer Space. That's a... That's a good one. I always like the samples that are on there. I think it's kind of quite prescient at the moment in terms of some of the lines that are on there around, do you know the difference between two genders? I mean, this is a record that's, what, 30 years old, something like that? And it's still a topic of conversation now. And Yeah, but they are all good, aren't they? What's, uh, what would you call out? I still think that uh, One Thing Leads to Another is a, is a great record and a song that actually could sit on any Pet Shop Boys album. And, and close any album and, and, and probably, I mean, they always write great songs that close albums, but that is kind of up there with one of the best and such a, a simple concept of writing a set of lyrics and then just singing them in reverse order is just a, it's just a great idea. There is a demo that song that's so clearly reversing them was a more recent idea because there is a demo that's, uh, again, on YouTube where lyrics or each line is in the original order before they cut and paste them you see that's no fun is it you had to <laughs> listen to it and then try and work it out what story was about it took sort of about three or four listens to try and work it out i do think that that's a a, a great song and and i'd like to see that if we're talking about re-releasing and giving things a little bit more coverage i think that's definitely one of the songs that could stand up from that another thing for the wish list would be i love the catalog reissues and I really hope we eventually get to see for listening editions of Electric, Super and Hotspot in the, in the same style. So with the great interview booklets and those uh, extra CDs with, with those extra tracks on as well. I'm a big fan of them and I've deliberately not curated my own playlist of, of those albums just because I'm still eagerly waiting for them and for them to be presented in the order that Neil and Chris want to present them in rather than a ham-fisted sort of compilation that I've put together. So, yeah, I'm, I'm here waiting for those, definitely. So so where do you stand on the Super Deluxe Editions? I know that's a format that a number of bands have put out where they've released three or four CDs of one album and got lots of various demo and development versions of each song. Do you, do you feel like you need five versions of Heart? <laughs> well, oh, I'd be quite happy to listen to five versions of Heart, but I, I think, I think Neil and Chris probably feel that they have done their definitive version. So yes, it is only two discs, but they seem to have this rule that we release everything that's of master quality and and nothing beyond that. And I kind of tend to respect that. Really, they've got these are the final versions, these are the definitive versions. It would be interesting. I can see why they don't necessarily want to show all of their workings out. Interesting for fans and interesting from a historical perspective, but I like the fact that they kind of get to uh, choose and they get to say, these are the versions that you'll get to listen to. And there are, there's enough stuff that's out there that people can do their own digging and, and find maybe the unofficial and leaked versions of a lot of this stuff. But I can see why they, they wouldn't necessarily want to go back into the archive and give us a, a whole load of second-rate stuff. I agree. I mean, I think even if they've released five versions of a song, 
people then would want the sixth, the seventh, and the eighth version of that. Or you'd always be getting somebody then that would say, I prefer the trumpet noise on version three. Why can't they do that? Like you said, they're development processes, aren't they? And you have got that final end product, which that's the end product that we that we want and that you're going to like. I think they're, they're great from a novelty point of view, but they always feel I'd listen to that once and then... I wouldn't really want to listen to it again. It seems a lot of trouble to go to just for that one listen, really. As I say, there, there's still a lot, there are lots of demos around online, particularly from the early years, from the time recording in the Camden studio, which Ray Roberts owned in 82, 83, the Bobby O demos, actually demos. Understandably, given the nature of the internet these days, they keep the recordings on a much tighter rein, you know, as you'd expect. And you mentioned that there's unofficial stuff out there and I'm a big fan of just that that quality control really you know it's when then they're unfinished they're not quite right and they've still got some development to be done and possibly part of the reason why we're still talking about this 35 years on is because they've had that quality mark they don't put out things that don't work for for whatever reason yeah i think there's this fan perception that they've got this vault that's full of unreleased material but i like this idea that as i say Neil and Chris have drawn the line between what they deem is and isn't master quality. What and what isn't master quality simply doesn't get released. Neil said that what really exists, not not a vault as such, but a medium-sized pile of kind of second-rate songs. And you're right, if they were to be released, we'd have a yes, we'd have a whole heap of new tracks to listen to. But the overall quality of the catalogue would take a hit. Those clamouring for the the release of these tracks I'm sure they'd be the first to complain when they found out that they actually weren't any good they are interesting from a from a historical perspective though certainly yeah I mean I think we've seen that with some of the latest EP releases and some of the things that have been released with with annually that kind of maybe sometimes have a demo tag to it but they still sound full they still sound developed and a, a big difference from maybe some of those unofficial demos floating around in the the ether of the internet yeah i agree certainly equally then if you listen to the stuff that they can produce with a proper external producer there's there is a marked difference again from that quality their in-house sound if you like so the demos that they can produce themselves definitely very polished releasable as we've seen them you know you can get a lot of pleasure from those versions i do think it's interesting though when you compare even that to the quality that you get when they work with an external producer, everything again moves up a, a, a few notches. I mean, it's such an interesting concept really, isn't it? What What is and what isn't a, a demo? I mean, we both work in the creative sector and, and quite often you, you have a sixth sense as to when something is finished and until you reach that point, you, you're constantly working on it, whether you're adding something or you're removing something. I know that some of those early ones do sound a little bit rough, but there was a time in the early 90s that I dabbled with being in a band and writing some songs and 90% of the stuff that I wrote, I wouldn't want anybody to see or hear the, the light of day. Mm-hmm. And, and you don't want to do that because it's just it's a process isn't it and you actually you know you reject some things and and sometimes when you're working on something it then spurs you to work on something completely different or to go in a different direction you know they're just part of that creative process although saying that i would like to hear the full demo version of the living daylights theme the bond theme that they were rumored to be producing and i know that this must be the place became that song but i still can't quite make that leap between this must be the place and it being a Bond theme. I'd, I'd really like to sort of 
here maybe a few more development versions of that to see how close it got, whether it had different lyrics, whether it had sort of slightly different production, different melodies, different instrumentation. That's probably the one thing that I would like to hear in a little bit more detail. I think out of the unreleased material, um, I'd love to hear a full recorded version of the track In The Club or In The Queue, one of their earliest songs that they demoed back in 1983. Again, YouTube is your friend if you, if you want to hear that. Apparently they recorded it properly around the time of nightlife. It's never seen the light of day. I seem to remember. I think I remember they even offered it to Sophie Ellis-Bextra at some point. But it's a good one anyway. It's slow, electronic, gorgeous melody, atmospheric whooshes, and that trumpet sound that, that you mentioned that, that crops up on here. It even... Uh, picks up the um, Pet Shop Boys transport theme. It's got the train mentioned in, in there as well. I think they've said in more recent years that they think it's not good enough to release, but respectfully, I, I disagree on that point. I think it ticks a number of the lyrical traits of, of Neil, doesn't it? It's got a little bit of innuendo Neil. Mm -hmm. It's got some torch sung Neil. Yeah. It's got travelogue Neil. It, it kind of ticks quite a number of those uh, boxes. Maybe it's the fact that it's not one of those... It, wholeheartedly that maybe is their reluctance to, to release it. Yeah, it, it's, it's definitely of such note within the canon that they almost owe, owe it to uh, themselves and to everyone to, to, <laughs> to get that out and, 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 and issue that one. Um, also in Neil's diary, entries share through literally and annually, there's so many new songs mentioned. I can see why people are hopeful for more to come out, particularly those with particularly intriguing titles or stories behind them. Some Many of these have earned quite mythical status. Just a few, Graham, that I was thinking of that I'd love to hear. How great are some of these titles? I can always rely on you to let me down. So that was apparently written at the same time as It's a Sin. It's supposed to be funny, catchy. They have suggested it may appear at some point. Fantastic title. I'd love to hear it. I'm keeping my fingers crossed. So another early one. Apparently this is so this is the one that's got that same uh, umpa umpa rhythm as Blue Monday. When Blue Monday came out, apparently Neil was a, a bit depressed because that, that that track did everything that that uh, he and Chris were trying to do. I think that would have been a great addition to the Unity tour if if New Order's Blue Monday had seeped into I'm keeping my fingers crossed. I think they missed an opportunity there. It's not a crime. So this was on the original tape that Neil gave to Bobby O all those years ago, one of the first demo tapes, clearly, and some of the lyrics uh, later appeared in Left to My Own Devices. I'd love to hear the original. Two more. I've got plans involving you. So another early one. Apparently everyone at Smash Hits uh, loved it. Another fantastic title. And then you've got Love and War, a lost song from Behaviour that they worked on again for Bilingual. A rock song, apparently, that they could imagine <laughs> Brian uh, Adams singing. Not sure how much of a recommendation that is, but there's just enough there for, to intrigue me, and I would, I'd love to hear that. And whenever they've got a new album coming out or a new batch of songs, I'm always scanning the list, hoping that maybe one of these older ones will pop up and that they, that they've dusted off one or two of their older tracks. Yeah, there must be loads of remixes as well that have never made it. You know, it'd be great to have CD quality versions of some of those early vinyl mixes as well that came out. I know I've tried to record a few of them off digital turntable and there's lots of static all over them. I mean, they sound very authentic, but it'd be nice to get a really nice crisp copy of some of those. That'd be good. Yeah, certainly there's loads of gaps on streaming services. I know people are keen for a singles box set. I'm kind of less bothered for everything in in one 
place in terms of physical media. I mean, where would, where would you stop? There's so many mixes of some of those tracks. Or it could be a chance for Neil and Chris to redefine the singles output and jettison those mixes that on reflection they don't think make the grade, kind of reimagine the, the remix canon. There are certainly some mixes I wouldn't want to rush out and buy all over again. No, me neither. And again, you, you, you always just face with that. You put everything out that's up to date today, but then another album comes out so it's you know we're already seeing it with the further listening we're up to a certain point of that but it's like well we want another three of those and you know like you say you just don't know you don't know where to 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 start with that i think it's a shame that some of the musical arrangements from some of the tours don't get a little bit more exposure and aren't available they'd be nice to have again in a nice sort of cd quality mm-hmm. i think if they release some of those tours you, you're effectively getting what, what how many tours 15 tours something like that you're effectively getting 15 remix albums which i've been more than happy with uh-huh. uh, i think some of those you know i don't want the crowd noises i don't want any of that you'd like an audio only um, I'd, I'd like the the arrangement version. and a nice studio vocal kind of like the super mix of of devices which just sounded great and was so glad that they released that because that was one of my highlights of that tour. Uh-huh. I think it'd be uh, it'd be nice to have some live versions of some of those low-key concerts that they've done some over the, the years. One-offs. Yeah, some of the one-offs. They'd be great. So like the Hacienda and the the Stonewall Equality one, where they did the Sound of Music covers. I always get those mixed up. Uh, and obviously the Royal Albert Hall Teenage Cancer Trust concerts there were great. So that's just a very short list <laughs> of many more. Yeah, there's definitely one of the um, one-off gigs that I would love to have heard a recording of. I'm not sure one was ever made, but it was when they played at Camden Barfly um, back in 2004. Lucky, lucky people that were there when they were playing things like Try It, I'm In Love With A Married Man for the first time. Tonight Is Forever was on the set list in private, nervously. Imagine here nervously live. I bet that was fantastic. Very stripped down electronic sounding set, apparently. I think that one would have been uh, brilliant to hear. Is that the one with It's Sin that's on the that's Pop right. Justice? Yeah, that's uh, exactly compilation right. that came out a few years back. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think uh, I'd definitely look for hearing all of those old, old kind of concerts. They're just. I'm sure we're great. And the the other one that was on my wish list is the 2012 BBC concert that they put out around the time of uh, Elysium. That might be a, a nicer addition. I'm surprised that uh, um, they haven't put that out. Right, back to the wish list. So a few missing tours that I'd love to see on DVD or Blu-ray. Um, the original 1989 tour, uh, we're told is, or well, we were told a few years ago now that that was being worked on. I would love for that to emerge at, at some point. The version of the Somewhere show that's out there is quite truncated, really. There's, you know, a, a fuller set list of that show that must have been filmed. I wish that they'd treat us to a full version of that concert. I mean, we were, we were, we both went to that and. I have no recollection whatsoever of them doing some speculation and uh, the man who was everything. I, I just can't picture those songs at all. I think, I think when a, a recorded version of it exists, That's it right. almost becomes the definitive version that you remember. I think I vaguely remember them doing Friendly Fire, uh, but uh, I, I don't remember the other versions of it at yeah, all. Yeah, we've been denied um, <laughs> the, the full version of that. Another obvious one is the soundboard 
quality recordings of the release and unit or sets one or the other I'd take either in, in full that would be fantastic <laughs> yes please um, and electric that's never seen the light of day either and it's so odd when you've got you know vast majority of the other shows have been professionally filmed you know to have such a great show like it, electric denied a, a DVD and Blu-ray release clearly you can watch some of these I don't know Brazilian TV recordings <laughs> on YouTube but I'd like a proper by sanctioned version of that released with, with, well. with a booklet and an audio CD. That's right, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, one of the things that I want, if we're having a wish list of things that we'd like, is I, I'd like a compendium of all the literally fan club newsletters. Oh. I was never a member of that, and uh, you were never a member of the fan club. Never a member of the fan club. Well, I was, you know, when did it start? 89, 90, so I'm, I'm sort of 19, 20. I'm probably thinking that I'm too old to join a band fan club. Probably thought I was too cool. Too cool. Too I'm cool. sure you were. <laughs> I, I mean, I've never even seen it in the in the flesh. Wow. So, yeah. But, yeah, I'd, I'd like a, a full compendium of that. I mean, even before Literally came out, there were the newsletters, that the information sheets from the information service that they used to send out. I mean, I do remember writing to Pet Shop Boys' office or whatever it was prior to the fan club starting. And for some reason, I'm in the hope of getting an information sheet, which I, I never did, but uh, I do remember them writing back with the news of the fan club before that, that was uh, actually a, a thing and... Obviously, I sent my check off for that, and I, I wasn't uh, clearly. I, I uh, wasn't too cool because I've, I've been in it since the beginning. You get a little badge or anything like that. Oh, there were all sorts. Um, I mean, I've seen all the jealously seen all the kind of free gifts and CDs and things that have come out over than the Christmas cards and so on. Oh yeah, but then there were you used to get some kind of promotional item when you renewed, so mouse mats and badges as you say, various different posters, promotional bits and bobs, the Christmas card, so I, I, I do have everything, in fact it might make for a podcast going through my <laughs> big box of fan club stuff, we should do that another time. I, I feel like... Uh, me asking for a compendium of the newsletters is a little bit like me reluctantly allowing anybody else to own Relentless. It feels <laughs> like I appreciate that there are some major double standards uh, double um, standards going on I, here. I, I, I would like a, a single book of all of those. That, that'd be nice. And I tell you what, given literally didn't even come out and it wasn't produced until 1989, I've always quite liked the idea of going back and reimagining what editions 1985 to 1988 might have looked like. I've always been quite tempted to start uh, drafting those those myself, um, pulling it together in extra one, two, three, four editions that could, could precede the um, uh, inaugural edition. Well, if, if you write it, I'll design you, it. Maybe we, can, maybe we can give it a, as a, a free gift for, uh, <laughs> for, for subscribing to our podcast. Yeah, I'm not sure you, you'd have to be able to get that. Uh, well, given you haven't... Given you've never seen it, <laughs> you, you are maybe uh, you might be biting enough more than you can chew from a design perspective. <laughs> we'll have to see. Good idea. Though. I think I'd like to see also. I'd like to see more exclusive artwork. I think I'd really like like some kind of A2 artwork posters, maybe from sort of some of the live concerts. You know, obviously we want this limited and so on. G clay or kind of lithograph, something kind of really kind of high quality and that would be something that I'd like. Of, of some of their older stuff, some reproductions of some of the original 
subway posters, that kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, that type of thing. Just something that feels a little bit different. I kind of quite like, I've always been intrigued by the visual side of them as well as what it sounds like. So tapping into some of that, I think, would be would be really nice. They do uh, do these, have a couple of the lithographs that they've done in recent years. One poster I would like is the um, electric tour poster with the, that used the photos from the leaving sleeve. So yeah, I agree. I've certainly got a little wish list of poster art, just not enough room on uh, my walls anymore. To put no, I'm not, I think that would be a problem. I think there's also there's also talk of maybe, or once upon a time, there was a, a third Chris Heath tour book uh, from the Discovery Tour. Oh, that's right. I remember that. I think there's there's that. There's I guess Neil's autobiography can't be far off at some point. Well, he's always denied this, hasn't he? <laughs> he says he's got the he's got the diaries, and obviously we, we're privy to those, or at least some of the recording diaries through literally and annually. But I agree, I'd be surprised if you know, particularly during lockdown, if if he hadn't taken the opportunity to maybe document a little bit more of his life, it would be, you could definitely imagine him putting out an autobiography. That would be fantastic to read, I'm sure. I think just how Pet Shop Boys have run alongside popular culture, really. So you know, when you think of some of the bands that they've been involved in an artist that worked with just that history of pop music over the last 40 years really I think that'd be fascinating in its in its own right. One book Neil did moot at one stage uh, was them compiling a single book from the catalogue reissue booklets because clearly they're quite big beasts and you've got what is it 11 of them uh, so far with a few more hopefully waiting in the wings if you were to bring all of those together they would make an excellent book I'm sure and you know you get a document there of all of the tracks that they've that they've released so I'd be quite happy to buy that again in book form definitely and of course I mean finally in terms of books it'd be great to have an update of catalogue itself you know this is the bible of Pet Shop Boys from a, a visual perspective it's brilliant but it stops at pop art and that's 20 years ago <sighs> is, it, is that not that's 20 years ago 20 sure. years ago since you know I've opened it the other day to see what point did they get up to with with it pop art is pretty much the last thing in there so you know we've got another 20 years of visual pressurized identity which could find its way into an update that's quite rare now isn't it i think it's out of print yeah and it'd be nice to maybe revisit that would be would be great to see all of that i think especially now that artwork is digital you actually don't really have that same appreciation of of, of sleeves and things downloading songs so to be able to see sleeves in in kind of big format would be would be great yeah i agree so is there anything anything else that you'd wish for so some other obvious gaps alternative b-sides collection surely that's due a, a reissue on vinyl format so the follow-up to alternative another b-sides collection that was never reissued on on vinyl and of course if you're putting those out we're right for a third b-sides collection they've got enough material so you know there's a project wait ready and waiting there isn't there three b-sides albums including a brand new one battleship potemkin um that's never had a a vinyl edition uh most incredible thing yes you can pay an arm and a leg for the uh, fancy box set but uh, you know I'd love a traditional vinyl edition of that and of course A Man From The Future the the final of the, I guess of the those trilogy of um, side projects that's never had a release full stop unfortunately I guess what they need to do is is uh, record the definitive version of that but that seems uh, to have such a mega 
piece of work there that's not been finished off and released that's definitely needed something that needs I putting mean, that's right. a that's a proper release isn't it that that's a that's a full-on campaign type release that's not something that they're just going to the studio for a couple of days and knock out as a, a free free cd with annually i did read i don't know if it's true but i did read that they were um, that neil had wanted trevor horn to produce that i mean that would have been quite something it does need that big production doesn't it yeah so we talked about the things that we want or that we'd like and, and we briefly touched on some of the tours and if we're continuing with our wish list which songs would you like to hear them do live and, and which venues would you like to see them doing it in I, I guess I'd kick that off with I, I still feel like I need another full-on Chris dancing Paninaro. I think the the joy from that would be great oh yeah that's that's definitely um, one that I think everyone wants uh, them to revisit they did it on the 1989 tour. I wasn't there. I would have loved to have seen that. Chris in his lime green bomber jacket and fluorescent pink cap. I think that's one of his best looks ever. It was on. The, they did do it on the Fundamental tour, um, which uh, is uh, sounds great. The versions that are on uh, found their way to YouTube of that. The good news is they did it at Edinburgh Hog- yes, Hogmanay date. Yes. They slipped it into the set, replacing "Losing My Mind." So. I guess we've all got high hopes now that that's going to find its way to the set list for for this year's shows as well. I mean, once they've told the greatest hits with Dream World, if they ever needed to come back to the idea of a a greatest hits tour, I do think it'd be particularly brilliant for them to tour finally, please and actually, in full, back to back, so the tour that never was. So that would mean all the Imperial hits for the wider audience and those great deeper cuts for fans that they've that they've never played before so just think in that set list you would get tonight is forever violence i want to love her hit music it couldn't happen here i want to wake up so you know all of those live rarities and also they could because it's the same time period you could throw paninaro in as well in the night encore with always on my mind so uh, you know i think that's a show waiting to happen i know they don't like to do the whole looking back thing but i think that's a a really quite different lens that they could do another greatest hits tour. Yeah, well, we'd get later tonight as well, which yeah. would be great. Yeah, yeah. Again, that was the 1989 tour, wasn't it? Um, and the Teenage Cancer Trust yep. show that you called out earlier. Chrissy Hind, when she sang those four songs with the Pet Shop Boys at the prom in, in 2018, that was uh, that was one there. I agree, that would be a, a great one to hear. I, I mean, I'm already queuing up for tickets for this concert, thinking of all the other things, so. King's Cross, which I know gets kind of an airing now and again, but that'd be great to hear. A Man Could Get Arrested. That's on my wish list. That sound fantastic, line. And I think if, if Always On My Mind is on the set list, then we might get the In My House segue as well. Yeah, they've never done that, have they? I would absolutely love to hear the full introspective version of Always On My Mind live. That'd be absolutely fantastic. So extending from that, and I'm just jotting down a few songs here that I'd kind of still like to hear live. I think I'd like the theatre, this used to be the future, we're all criminals now, I didn't get where I am today. You know, you could do a whole show just on their ballads, you know, the Miserabilism Ballads (laughs) tour, how fantastic would that be? So I've got a little list as well, so To Face the Truth, wow, I Made My Excuses and Left, King of Rome, Breathing Space, Sad Robot World, Only the Dark... I mean, that would be quite something. I, I don't know quite how it would feel to just have, uh, you know, an hour and a half of pure um, misery, but uh, <laughs> I, I think I could uh, I could survive that. That would be absolutely fantastic. 
you know, I'm, th I'm imagining small theatres, maybe a string quartet. You've got Chris on piano. I think. Yeah, so cabaret style. Yeah. So tables, chairs, lamps. Yes. Waiter service. Waiter I mean that. Service. I mean this nice. is sort of starting to become my my ideal uh, gig. Maybe with their connections to Tom Scott, they could play at the cabaret Kit Kat Club in the Playhouse Theatre. I mean that'd be a great show just to be able to take over that staging for a for a night and just to do all those songs. I mean. That's just that just feels like a great sort of streaming show to put small bands into that environment. That'd be fantastic. I'd love to see that. I mean, maybe as well we could flip that with uh, if you're having a, a miserableism tour. How about a bangers and lasers set as well? You know, just with all the big songs on there and maybe alternate it so that actually you didn't know what set you were going to get. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of just alternates each night. You'd never know. It'd be like the Johnny Lee Miller and uh, Benedict Cumberbatch when they did Frankenstein and you, you never knew which actor was going to play which part. You'd just literally turn up. You'd either turn up up for it or ready for a somber evening and uh, <laughs> you'd either get lucky or not lucky depending on on what set was played as long as neil and chris didn't switch roles as well <laughs> then you'd probably you'd be all right <laughs> i mean it's just great to hear those album tracks and the obscure songs i mean I, I love it when they turn up in a set and you know you just feel as if they're playing them for you and you know they're playing all the greatest hits for everybody else but it's those kind of obscure ones that they i mean i always feel like when there's an obscure they're playing that one for me well i think um i think chris agrees with you doesn't he because in the latest annually he's again mooted a show without the hits and he first mentioned this back in uh, literally in 2008 2009 really out of character for him but it's clearly something he's uh, really excited about uh, back then, he even shared the playlist he put together. Uh, some amazing stuff on there. So you know, this is a Pet Shop Boys concert without any hits at all. So uh, imagine this: you've got the Resurrectionist. I would love to hear that. Up against it, that's my favourite track from Bilingual. I'd love to hear that. To speak is a sin. Uh, my October Symphony. So we've not heard that since performance. Wow. He's even got a couple on there from Relentless, so Forever in Love, One Thing Leads to Another. We're in good company here. <laughs> even Chris thinks that we should be doing uh, this kind of concert, so, you know, everything crossed that that might actually happen. Yeah, I mean, that'd just be amazing, wouldn't it? I mean, it'd just be fantastic. So let's assume that we've we've had that green lighted and, we're, and that's going to happen. What about venues? So whereabouts do you want to hear that? Well, I like, the, I'm back to your Kit Kat club, I think, for, uh, for for that show in particular. But if, we, if we've got either the please actually double bill or your banging with lasers show, <laughs> then, um, well, one venue I really need to fly the flag for is the Peace Hall in Halifax, which is a relatively new outdoor venue. Uh, historical attraction looks fantastic. I've had uh, bands like New Order have already played there um, I think that's right for the Pet Shop Boys coming with uh, any one of those shows that we've mooted absolutely so if you're, if you're listening Gary you need to get on with that and get that booked I mean I'm quite happy for any historic venue I, I just love when the, you know they're sounding so new and fresh and you put them against a, a really old venue I mean I think we've both been lucky enough to go to the Royal Albert Hall the Savoy the Royal Opera House you know those are great venues to be able to go and see bands in i mean you can imagine just based on that imagine a two-week tour just of different london venues so small clubs iconic landmarks 
large arenas. I mean, that would be fantastic. Quite restrictive, I guess. Uh, uh, <laughs> probably only fans in London that are really going to be um, pleased by that idea. But I, I could imagine them doing something like that. Or, or maybe a tour that took in meaningful Pet Shop Boys places. So dating London, Blackpool, Newcastle, Berlin, New York. Yeah, I mean, just take my money now I mean I'm, I'm sort of signing up as it were I mean I, if you're going to the mall they'll be taking quite a lot of your money now <laughs> yeah absolutely I mean I've, I've not seen them abroad so that's something that I'd I'd kind of quite like to do and I'd love to go see them at Coachella I know they did what, 2014 there but I'd like to go and see them there that just sort of feels like somewhere that I'd like to go and see you know or just if we're going to be in New York some of those kind of famous venues that you that you see when you're there like Radio City or Bowery Ballroom and things like that historic venues that kind of just add to the whole sort of sense of occasion really or and if it's not historic then I mean just anywhere in South America because those audiences just look so up for it and oh, I agree that looks like something else doesn't it? I'd like just love to be sort of stuck in the middle of Santiago <laughs> or Mexico City or Rio de Janeiro and just in one one of those audiences it just looks fantastic. So what's your favourite venue that you've seen them at? Uh, well, I think in terms of venue, I mean, you called it up before, but the Royal Opera House, that was quite something down in the pit for that. So up close and, you know, you couldn't resist kind of turning around and taking it all in. Um, such a fantastic venue and the bar and those escalators and the view from the top. That's somewhere I'd never been before and I, I do love it that they show you these places, they introduce you to these places that you wouldn't have gone to uh, other than to go and see the Pet Shop Boys so yeah that was, that's a real standout one for me yeah it was great wasn't it I was in I think I was in row C and I was I was stood next to and started a conversation with a, a chap next to me who would come on his own he was from Canada and I think he'd just come over solely to see the first four dates so this is the, the, the first time that they played yeah. there and he'd book tickets in four different seats just so that he could soak up the whole environment and see them from lots of different angles. Wow, so over four nights? Over four nights, yeah. So he was he was kind of rusty on one night. He was going to do a night in the orchestra pit, which, for those that are listening, there was no orchestra in there. It was just opened up for people to stand in. I think he was going to do one day in a box, and then he was going to go right up into the gods and see it from, uh, from wow. there. So, I mean, that's a great way to spend four days, isn't it? Yeah, what it? a holiday. I mean, this is a final uh, flight of fancy, maybe. So another show idea. They've worked with so many collaborators over the years, and clearly they did bring out a handful of these when they did their Mermaid Theatre concrete show. So they had Robbie Williams there, Rufus Wainwright, Francis Barber. But what if they pulled together an even grander show? You know, I think it does Liza still sing. I'd love to hear her perform with them. Yeah, that'd be great, wouldn't it? Um, get, let's even get Patsy back on stage, uh, Boy George, Kylie, Soft Cell. A logistical nightmare, I'm absolutely sure. It would be kind of like a Pet Shop Boys version of Gorillaz, wasn't it? I think they did a tour where it was kind of like, ladies and gentlemen... <laughs> Robert Smith, ladies and gentlemen, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sean Wright. They were just inviting people onto the stage and then off. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm now thinking what an absolute nightmare that green room would be with all of these <laughs> um, big egos in there. You know, actually, I've, I've maybe I've taught myself how to this. Oh like, no, don't talk yourself. <laughs> this is. I'm, I think it would be great. I think it's about doing things that are a bit different, aren't they? And like you say, that green room might be a little bit touchy. Although I suspect a number of the people performing would want their own green room. <laughs> that might be the technical issue of this, but. Uh, 
Yeah, I think it'd be great. What would what would you call this concert? Uh, so, well, I have a couple of, a couple of uh, titles which <laughs> maybe they'd lend themselves to a show, or maybe it's a compilation album of of their collaborations. But collaboration, what, yeah, that's, great. Uh, yeah. From uh, it's even there in the in the night lyric, isn't it? Collaboration. Uh, so I think that's a. a uh, an obvious title, and then I've I've thought in cahoots, so Pet Shop Boys <laughs> in cahoots. Um, I know it's two words, but that's from Patience of a Saint, and that's kind of I like the idea of uh, Pet Shop Boys it being in cahoots with all of these uh, other artists. I think that would work well as well. So I think to to finish, I think it's probably worthwhile as bearing in mind that whilst we are putting the, together this wish list, we are really fortunate that uh, yes. that they exist on our doorstep, that they release records, on, they play concerts not a million miles away from where we live and that we can get to. I guess there's, there's possibly people listening around the world, even to this podcast, that are still waiting for their first tour or have got a, a tour from 10, 15, 20 years ago that's a, a distant memory. I mean, we are really lucky with, like you said right at the outset, 40 years of... Yeah. records 15 16 concerts or whatever we we are in a we are really spoiled really aren't we in the scheme of and, things and actually if any i'm saying this is a wish list but actually if uh, <laughs> if any of this stuff is going to um actually happen i'm going to have to have some prior notice so i can start saving up as well yeah i think we're both mortgaging our houses <laughs> and uh, <laughs> sort of sending our children out to work <laughs> Well, while we think about how we're going to save up and uh, how we're going to pay for all of this, it might be a good idea for us to wrap up and say a few thank yous. Uh, I'd like to thank Portia and uh, Phoebe for producing today. Uh, thanks to Paul for helping out with the music. And uh, thank you most of all for listening. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, cheers. Bye. Bye.